If you are hurting right now, it's my prayer that this message will speak to you. And I know that there are so many people who are in that kind of a place. So today, this goes out to all those people who are feeling discouraged. This is part two in our series called The Time Is Now, where we are looking at the minor prophet Haggai. You remember, minor prophet doesn't mean he's not important, just means that his books are shorter. So if you missed last week, I want to give you a quick refresher on the backstory, just so we have a context about what's happening and where we are, so you understand the main story. You got to know what happened so you can understand where we are. Part two, the time is now. So let's go all the way back to the time of King Solomon. That's when he was building a temple And not just a temple. It was magnificent. It would be a wonder of the world. People came from all over the world to worship God. And frankly, just to buy a ticket for the tour of the temple. They wanted to see it. They wanted to... um, What everyone had been talking about, this place had, had gained such notoriety. Unfortunately... At the end of Solomon's life, um, after him, but even at the end of his latter years, people started turning away from God. They made this great temple, but the temple didn't, didn't have them in the same way. And they began to start focusing and worshiping idols. And so God allowed a series of events to take place to, to help bring their focus back onto him. And so in 587 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian army came and they destroyed devastated Judah. They, they terribly, terribly destroyed the city. They, they knocked out the temple. And in doing that, they, they removed that connection point for Israel. How else will we get in contact with our God? This is where our God resides. And they, they do it to try and say that your life, your way of life means nothing. This is the new way. Babylonia is the new way. Um, the Babylonians took the Jewish people. They didn't let them stay there. They captured them and moved them off to Babylon, and they took them for five decades. Five decades they were in captivity. So just imagine that sense of relief, that sense of hope, when the first remnant of people were allowed to go back and to start rebuilding the homeland. And they get there under Governor Zerubbabel. It's a great name to be able to remember. And if you want to remember Zerubbabel, here's a great tip. Under Governor Zerubbabel, they came, they came back to clean up all the rubble. So there you go. You know, you know what uh, Zerubbabel is all about. He's there to clean the city back up and to start rebuilding. So about 50,000 people came back to Israel. And they came in and they said, we've been waiting for so long. Let's get this going. And so their first priority right away is let's build the house for God again. We need to reestablish our culture. We need to reestablish our religion. We need to reestablish this relationship with God. And so they, they got the foundation in place and they built the altar and things were going well. And then they met with some resistance and they just gave up. And so for 14 years, the temple sat there, foundation, altar, no progress. And then God raises up the prophet Haggai and says, go, call the people back to this task. Stop focusing on just your own house. Focus on God's house. Let's put God first. Let's get that priority um, redesignated. And so we're going to pick up the story from about there. That's the context. We're jumping into Haggai chapter 1, starting at verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people and said, I am with you. Maybe we should say that aloud. What did God say? He said, 
So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people. You might have noticed this happening in your life. When you're able to look back in time, you're more able to see these things sometimes than just at the moment. God often will stir up your spirit. God gives you hope to accomplish something that he puts into your mind. God did this for his people. He didn't just say, you're on your own. He said, I am with you. And as an indication of his being with you, he stirred up their spirit. He gave them something that they didn't have on their own. He gave them a sense of faith. Sometimes we think we, we, our, our pursuit of God is so much dependent on us. Even the faith was a gift. Even the faith was something that pushed them forward. And they came and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. And they said to each other, we can do this. We're going to build an amazing temple. Yeah, yeah, we can do this. One month goes by and guess what happens? They quit again. They had one of those big religious festivals and they gather everyone up and they focus and, and all the people gathered around the temple construction site and as they're there, they're kind of looking, is this it? This is pathetic. This isn't much progress. And all of a sudden, everyone was discouraged. They were embarrassed. This is the best. This is the best we can do. One month in and they quit. They just, they just fizzle out. Let's be honest. How often does that same sort of thing happen in our lives right now? This is not some Old Testament Bible kind of thing. This is people. We're people. We do the same thing all the time. We get excited. We're going to do this. We're going to attack. And then, we, and, and then we flame out before we ever really get started. Have you ever done something, started with good intentions in, in part way? Partway is where you got. I remember when I was maybe 10, I was playing hockey, and I was pretty sure I was going to be in the NHL. And the problem was, I didn't know. I hadn't nailed it down. Should I be forward or defense? And because of that indecision, because of that moment, I just never followed through. That's the reason I don't play in the NHL. I meant well, but I stopped partway along the path. Maybe you've had something like this too. You had piano lessons. How many lessons did you get through? I'm going to learn a language. Not just the accent. Maybe, maybe I should lead a Bible study. Maybe I should attend a Bible study. Maybe I should find a Bible. Maybe I should tell people about Jesus. Maybe they'll think I'm weird. Maybe I'll hint at it and angle my head and they'll get it, right? We have these kind of thoughts. We start with a lot of energy and then it just dissipates. We can do it. We can get in there. We can build this temple. We can build this temple. We can build this temple one month later to the day because they dated everything. When you read this book, you'll see a lot of phrasing repeated. You'll see a lot more information than you think that you want, but because of the historical nature of the way it's written, it's to place it in time. It's to make sure you know who these people are. It's to make sure that you say this was an actual thing that was going on. That's why it's there. They dated everything. One month in, they flame out. 
And, and I, don't know, I don't know how that relates to you in your life, but it's, it's not just to be a concept that happened there. It's how will we make this thing real for us? And so maybe, maybe you've decided that you're going to get out of debt. We're going to get out of debt. Oh, Christmas. We forgot about that. Is that in December again? Wow. I totally didn't think. Okay, so I'm going to start later. Or maybe it was, I'm going to write a book. And, and then it became, well, I'm going to read a book. Well, maybe I'm going to buy a book. I'm going to put that book on my shelf, but I don't, I don't even have a bookshelf. The book just sits there. It never does anything. We're going to do this. And then we don't make the progress we think we should make, and we get incredibly discouraged. And God had Haggai ask the people a question, and I think God is really just trying to get to the root of their discouragement. And if you're discouraged today, perhaps you're discouraged because of one of these two reasons that are revealed in the question. Haggai chapter 2, look, look at verse 3. Who of you is left? Who of you is left that saw the house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem like nothing? Two causes of discouragement. Number one, comparisons. Certainly these people are doing the exact same thing that we often do. They were comparing their start with somebody else's finish. We just started. Our temple doesn't look very good, and their finish looks so much better. They're starting with 50,000 people in a land that had just been decimated, and other people living in it, and comparing it to a temple that was made in the golden age of their country, when they had been in existence for a long time, and there were resources everywhere, and they had years and years to build the temple. It's an unfair comparison at every level, but that doesn't stop you from feeling discouraged. And we'll do the same thing. We'll look at our beginning and compare it to someone else's finish. We'll look at our regular life and compare it to somebody else's highlight reel. And we'll say, I'm just not there. I just don't do that sort of stuff. It doesn't connect with me. And Bible scholars estimate that Haggai was probably around 70, maybe his mid-70s, when he's writing this book, when he's giving these prophecies, which means 50 years ago, before that 50 years of captivity, he would have been a teenager. He certainly would have been old enough to remember the former temple. Solomon's temple was amazing. This one isn't amazing at all. And you can't help but have that sense of comparison. The quality of the temple wasn't the issue. The temple spoke of the relationship, and the relationship is where the problem was. So I don't know where you are. I don't know how you think. But I can tell you that I sometimes get incredibly discouraged when I compare with what others have. What they have and I don't. What they do and I don't. And you say, well, hey, he's got a great job. He's got an amazing car. He's got a fantastic house. I, I hate my job. My car barely runs and I'm renting in a bad neighborhood. Or maybe, maybe it's her kids versus your kids. Her kids go to school every day in perfect matching outfits. They go with home-baked goodies every single day, and somehow those kids even have college credit in grade five. <laughs> My kids? Barely dressed. I think they had pants on today. They forgot their lunch. They didn't eat their celery, and they're flunking basket weaving, and you feel so bad. How come? 
Why not? And then you go to social media just to make sure that your life really is lousy. And you find out that she got invited, but no one invited you. You look there and you find out that he is traveling again. This is the third time this year they're on vacation and I can't even afford to go to the grocery store. She got more likes on her sunset picture. And you know what? My sunset picture is way better. We're comparing. And in so many different areas, we are quite content to compare when we are the one doing it. And we do it and we feel discouraged. The shoulders kind of slump. Your head goes down and you go, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You compared. Just like they did. Our little pathetic attempt to build this new temple pales in comparison to the glory of Solomon's temple. We're a failure. We're so discouraged. Then there's also just a lack of progress. We're a month into this. It's not going well. We're trying so hard, but we're not getting anywhere. And this is how we often feel. For a whole month, you decide, I'm going to eat nothing but kale and almonds, and you gain two pounds. What happened? Trying so hard, I'm working, I'm working, but it's not working. You start a business or whatever, and you take two steps forward, and that means you got to take three steps backwards, and you go, how come? It didn't work like that for, and you pick somebody else. Maybe for you, it's your whole lack of spiritual progress. You think, I've been a Christian for all this time, for however long it is, and yet, I still have a foul mouth. We're going to church today, don't confess. We're going to church today and we cussed the whole way there because we're going to be late. Praise God for that. I'm so amazing. So many years in and I still can't stop some of these things. And you would think by this time I'd be better off. And so you wake up one day and you go, I'm not good. I'm discouraged. I'm not where I thought I would be. She's ahead of me. He's doing more. They've got this. I don't have it. And I'm trying my best, but I'm not making progress. And so one day you feel like these people did and you come up and you say, it's not even worth it. Certainly in a group this size, there are more than one of you that you have this in some category in your life right now. And maybe this is what you're thinking. I've given it all in my marriage. I'm trying to put up with this whatever person. They're not even engaged. And, and, and I'm trying. I don't even know if I want to try anymore. I'm so discouraged. I'm giving it my best, but I'm not getting anything back. Some of you, you have kids. Maybe they're young kids. Maybe they're older kids. But you've got them, and you're praying for your kids. You're giving them good advice. You're doing everything you can to help your kids make good decisions and they're not getting it. It's so discouraging. You tried everything you know how to try, and they continue to make decisions that you look at and you say, that's just bizarre. Why would you ever do that? And you can see the path. You can see where they're going, and you could say, I, I want to help you. I'll do whatever it, it takes. I want to keep you off that path. I know where that path goes, but you don't know how to get them to listen to you, and you feel really discouraged. Or maybe spiritually, you're trying hard to overcome that one thing. You know the thing? The thing that you look back on and you say, I've been walking with Jesus 
for all this time and there's that one thing, maybe I'll just never overcome it. Maybe, maybe it'll, it'll, it'll never go away. Maybe I should just stop trying. Maybe it's not worth it at all. And you wake up and you think, I'm tired and I'm not there. And they are, but I've worked harder and you're discouraged. I don't want to whine, but I want to tell you, we all live there sometime. At some point, this is the way we feel. They're doing this and they're doing that and I'm not. And I'm trying so hard and I'm not seeing the progress that I want to see. What do you do when you find yourself discouraged? Well, I want to show you what God tells his people to do when this is where they are. They're building this temple and it's not going well. It's never going to be as good as Solomon's temple. We're trying the best we can and we just, it's just not good enough. God gives them, I think, is very, very loving and simple instructions. And to me, this is one of the most beautiful things about the book of Haggai. This little tiny book, and it doesn't say it directly, it just displays the way God is, that he is incredibly loving. He talks first to the governor, then to the high priest, and then to all the people. And he tells them the same thing. Go to Haggai chapter 2, verse 4. But now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. What do you do when you're discouraged? The first thing he says is be strong. And then he says, do the work. Let me say it again because someone's not paying attention. You're discouraged right now. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? God says, be strong, and you do the work. The great news is that we don't have to be strong on our own power. It's not just a matter of flexing hard and trying. We live in New Testament times, and the New Testament teaches us, my grace, this is Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, I don't have to just be strong in my own strength. I've got supernatural strength dwelling within me. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within those who believe. And when you can't do any more and, and you're about to give up, that's when you're a perfect candidate for God's strength to be strong through you. Be strong in the Lord and do the work. What do you do when you're discouraged? You be strong in His power, you do the work. Put down another stone. Think of it as building that temple. You put down another stone. I just put down a stone. It doesn't seem like there's any difference. What do I do? Be strong. Put down another stone. And then after that, you put down another stone. But it's not working. Consistently do the last thing that God told you to do. Consistently choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Consistently do the work. Put down the stone. Put down another stone. Put down another stone. Consistently do the hard thing. It would be easy to go home. It would be easy to say, it's hard, I don't need to. It would be easy to say there's not a lot of progress. But here's a principle, very, very simple, yet incredibly significant. Successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. That's, that's so good. I'm going to say it again. Successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. What do you do? Show back up and do the work. 
Be strong in the Lord. Be strong and keep praying even when you don't see results. Be strong and continue to open up God's Word and seek Him daily. Be strong and continue to do the right thing even when you're not getting where you want to go. Be strong and continue to pay off your debt. It's only $10 a month. You take a step in the right direction. You do it month after month, week after week, year after year. Be strong and continue to love when other people are not loving in return. Be strong and bring your best when everyone else on your team is not bringing their best. Be strong and show honor even when the person over you is not acting honorably. Be strong and continue to love your spouse even when your spouse is unresponsive. Be strong and continue to reach out to that person even when they don't want to let you in. Be strong and continue to love your children. Pray for your children. Stand for your children even when they don't stand for anything that you believe is right. You be strong and you show up the next day. You be strong and you stay in the game. You be strong and you never, ever give up. It's fair to say that there's someone here, at least one, who is caught comparing. You're trapped in it. And it is a prison. I'm not there. I wish I was. I'm discouraged. I don't have the progress. Show back up. Consistently. Do what other people do occasionally. A key passage for me has been Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever sows to please their, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Into one, do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And all that, this whole time, that's set up. And if we ended the message right now, you'd be happy because you could go to lunch faster, and that would have been a, a go get them kind of message. Come on, pull up your bootstraps. Keep trying. Maybe even try harder. That would be incomplete. Let's make it complete. God says be strong and do the work. Why? Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord. And that's the key to the whole thing. It is not that you do it on your own. It's not that you stand alone. It's not that you're alone. You do it with Him. We are always in partnership with God. What God was going to show them is the most world-changing news since the beginning of time. If you read ahead, and you're allowed to read ahead, you can sneak ahead, it's okay. Go to chapter 2, verse 6. You can even read chapter 3 if you want. God says something that they can't get their minds around. They have no idea what it is they're being told. And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. 
the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. Doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. The glory is going to be different. And in this place, I will grant peace, says the Lord Almighty. They had no idea that God was actually foreshadowing the incredible change the New Testament would bring. The incredible focus now on the love of God. You see all through the Old Testament, what happens in a physical way is a picture of what's going to happen in a spiritual sense in the New Testament. Foreshadowing. You remember that. You did literacy kind of stuff at some point in your life. Foreshadowing. It gives you a hint of. God shows physically what he's about to do spiritually. God shows naturally what he's going to do supernaturally. How could he say that? Because God was going to do something, again, that they couldn't imagine. It's hard for us to get into this mindset, so you've got you to think about this. In the Old Testament, people had to go to the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem, so if you didn't live in Jerusalem, you had to go to the temple. You had to, you had to make a trip. You had to go there to make a sacrifice in hopes that you did the right one in the right way at the right time in the right amount so that you could be right with God. And the New Testament, the new covenant, the new partnership, God says something wild. And in that world, unimaginable. It's even unimaginable for us because we have a hard time grasping what's going on here. Now, those of you who are followers of Jesus, you are actually the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is where God dwells. Everybody thought you had to go to the temple to experience God. And now God says, if you are a follower of my son, Jesus, I actually dwell within you. In the Old Testament, you had to go to the temple and you had to make a sacrifice in hopes of being made right with God. In the New Testament, God comes to you. God makes the sacrifice for you so that you can be right with him. And the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Jesus is the greater glory that's being foreshadowed in Haggai. And this changes everything. Now you don't have to be strong and do the work on your own. You do it because he is with you. But, not, but he's not only with you, he's in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ dwells within you. The glory of his temple will be greater than the glory of the former temple. Jesus is the greater glory who dwells within you. And every time you put a stone down in his name, you're glorifying him. When you serve someone, he's being glorified. When you love someone, he's being glorified. When you forgive someone, he's being glorified. When you lift up his name, he's being glorified. We don't need to be discouraged because we're not alone. And if we already are discouraged, we don't need to stay discouraged because we don't need to drive to the temple and manufacture a sacrifice in hopes of finding God in hopes of making him happy, he came to us and gave his son that we would be right with him. We just talked about this for a number of weeks. Why in the world did Jesus come to earth? He came to be with you because he knew 
you could not get to Him without His help. Therefore, Jesus dwells within those who are believers. That's why you never have to stay discouraged. Because, remember this, you're not alone. He's with you. Be strong and do the work because I am with you, declares the Lord. Therefore, we know that He who began a good work in us, in you, in me, will be faithful to carry it out until completion. He won't get discouraged and give up. He will carry it through until completion. Let us not become weary in doing good and in doing the work because in the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you're discouraged today, remember, God came to you. God came for you so that you could be right with Him. And He is not only just with you, He is in you. Therefore, you can do everything that He calls you to do. Pray with me. Father, today give us the courage to put down another stone. Even if we don't see the results that we want, help us to keep moving in the direction that you have called us to move. Help us to keep living in a way that you have called us to live. To trust you. To be faithful to you. To be obedient. But to do all these things in your strength. In partnership with you. And may we do it all for your glory. Not simply so that we would feel better. To all of us today, whether we are discouraged or not, you remind us that we are not alone. Do what God showed you to do. Be faithful. Be strong. Do the work. Be blessed. Amen. Christ in front of you. And Christ behind you. Christ above you. And Christ below you. Christ to your left. Christ to your right. Christ in your present. And Christ in your future. The Spirit of Christ be with you. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Thanks for being with us today. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. Thanks for making that true. Thanks for making the church come to life.